Join me in celebrating what God did in faith and action. I also want to tell you about something that's coming up next week. It is Missions Emphasis Week. Uh, not just on Sunday morning, but especially on Sunday morning. We ask you to be here. We will have regular services, but we'll also have a number of other things going on. So if you go to our website, uh, it's graceb3.org. Right at the top, you're going to see Missions Emphasis Week. It's a banner there. You click on that. You'll get all the information I'm about to share with you. So I encourage you to do that. But we will have regular services next week. And then we will also have some breakout sessions or some small group sessions happening each hour. And those will be uh, different opportunities for you to hear about what missions work is like and how you might be involved. So there is going to be a session on uh, participating in a small or short-term missions trip. There's going to be a session on using skills that you might already have to help with something like Bible translation. And there will be a time to talk to representatives from J-Life and Missionary uh, Missionary Aviation Fellowship. So that uh, is all going on during the service hours. So if you come at 9.30, you could come early and go to one of those sessions at 8 or stick around uh, for a session at 11. Your choice. But please do register online for those sessions just to let us know that you're coming. Also, uh, next Sunday, we've got two other things I want to tell you about. We have a missions club every hour. So normally, uh, the Widmers put on missions club during the, the fall and spring semesters. Lots of kids love to come and hear about what God is doing all over the world, and so they love to participate in that. One time only, special summer Sunday event, missions club, all three services next week. So parents, your kids may just want to stay all morning. We can't help that. It's amazing, right? So that's going on. And then also in the gym, we're going to have a number of Booths and tables set up with um, information, people for you to talk to about serving near and far. So we encourage you to check out what's going on in the gym as well. And then also next week, uh, part of Missions Emphasis Week, we're going to have a Friday night service on August 13th called Who Will Go? A prayer and praise service. If you were here about a month ago, we did a Friday night service. It'll be very much like that. Uh, the plan is to be indoors for the service. And then if it's not too ridiculously oppressively hot, we'll go outside and we'll have a fire and some fellowship and some snacks out there too. So that is going on Friday, August 13th. Uh, that is a lot. Yeah. That's missions emphasis week. Uh, that's faith in action. That's Cindy talking about next gen. Anybody overwhelmed? I'm a little overwhelmed. Anybody? Uh, And I should let you know, because I think there was some confusion at 8 a.m. I got up here, and I started giving announcements, and then I launched right into the sermon. They were not prepared. I'm I'm also giving the sermon this morning. I'm not Brooks. If there's any confusion about that, we'll talk after. He left. He made me a pastor last week and then just took off. It was fortuitous timing. Give him a hard time about that. Um, no, he is actually going up to a Christian camp uh, to bring the word there this next week, so that's why he's not with us. But we are this morning going to look at Philippians 1, 3 through 6. So this is a set of verses that many of you are already familiar with because Brooks and others from the stage here quote them often. So I encourage you to turn there. We're going to be talking about these verses, but we are going to talk about what it means to be overwhelmed by all of these requests, all of these asks, all of these um, people coming up here and in other places, right, saying, hey, you should give to our ministry. You should come to our ministry. You should participate. You should do this thing. Because it tends to overwhelm us. It tends to make us feel a little bit like we don't have anything left to give. And that's really sad, right? That's, that's really unfortunate because the gospel should be the thing about which we have the most joy. It should be the thing that we're celebrating the most, right? The gospel means 
that the dead are raised to life. And the gospel means that sins are forgiven and the gospel is worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. The gospel is worth celebrating. So we want to do that, but we have to deal with this, right? We have to deal with this brokenness, this sin that says, be discouraged, feel bad, wish that you had more time for yourself, more money for yourself, wish that people like Cindy wouldn't hound you, right? We have to deal with that. We have to grapple with that. Because God didn't have to use us, but he's chosen to use us. And so it's not just a matter of um, there's an opportunity here. It's that God has made a way for us to participate. So we want to know how to work through the sins and struggles that get in the way when Jesus wants to live in and through us. We need to figure out what it is that's going on that's getting in the way of that so that we can celebrate the gospel the way that he intends for us to. So this morning I want to lead you through talking about three different things uh, from Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Let's look at this verse, these verses a minute. <clears throat> I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like I said, you're familiar with those verses. Many of you have heard them many times. I think that if we look at these verses and we look at what is going on with our relationship to the gospel, our relationship to each other, and our relationship with Jesus, that we'll understand what it means to celebrate the gospel amidst our struggles, amidst our sin, amidst all the things that are going on in this world that say to us, don't be happy about this opportunity that you have. Don't find joy in what God is calling you to do, right? So we're going we're gonna to ask, what, is, what does our relationship with the gospel do, right? How does that impact our joy, what is our relationship with each other? How does that impact our joy? And what is our relationship with Jesus? Uh, if you would, let's pray. God, I praise you and I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity for us to look at your word. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you have called us to this place, that you've built a building here, that you've filled it with people, that you've called these people by your name, that you've called us to life everlasting with you. Help us to find joy in this amidst the struggle and the trial, Lord, and the temptation to say it's too much and I don't have anything to give. Help us to remember, Lord, what you gave and help us to understand how we can use your power to bring you glory. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's talk about our relationship to the gospel. Many of you came to faith, right, as young people. If you're in the church, that's common. Some of you came to faith as adults. Paul is talking to a specific group that came to faith in a very specific way when he says, I thank God for this partnership in the gospel. So let's look at the partnership that Paul is talking about because he holds us up as a good one, right? I'm not saying that yours are bad or that mine is bad. I'm going to talk about mine later, right? My relationship to the gospel. But let's look at what Paul calls good. He says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's able to thank God when he remembers them. He's able to praise God in joy, in prayer, because of their partnership in the gospel. If you turn to Acts chapter 16, you don't have to do it right now, but that's what I'm going to talk about here in a minute. If you turn to Acts chapter 16, you will find the story of the church in Philippi. This is who Paul is talking about when he's writing to the Philippians. The, the partnership that they have in the gospel from the first day until now is this. Okay, here's what happens. Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke and others are traveling. They're on a missionary journey. And they go into Macedonia, and that's where they find the city of Philippi. Philippi has no synagogue, 
Paul's preaching habit is to go into the synagogues where there are Jewish communities and preach the gospel there. There's no synagogue. So he has to find the believers and he finds them outside of town and they're worshiping near some water. They're praying and he goes there and he preaches the gospel to them and they receive it with joy. So this is the first characteristic of their partnership in the gospel. They receive it with joy. They're excited about it, right? And then the next thing they do is they start to invest materially in the gospel. There's this woman, Lydia. She's a dealer in purple and in uh, fine cloth. And in that time, right, people only purchased purple if they were regal, if they were royal, if they had serious money. So Lydia has serious money because people are paying top dollar for this cloth. And she takes those resources and she says to Paul and Silas, she says, let me invest in you. Come and stay in my home. Here's some space for you. You're not from town. Here's space for you. So she invites them into her home. That characterizes the church's partnership with the gospel. They're investing materially. And then they see Paul and Silas minister to uh, the town, right? They see them go out and preach and specifically cast out a demon in Jesus's name. So now they're seeing the power of the gospel. And then also immediately after that, Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and thrown into prison. So then they see what it means to suffer. So this is all characteristic of their partnership from the first day until now. Right? These are all hallmarks of what's going on in Philippi. These people are getting a real clear indicator of what it means to serve Jesus. There's power and there's also sacrifice. There's more power, right? If you guys know this story, Paul and Silas go into prison. They're in prison. They're singing. We have trouble singing here. They're singing in prison, right? They're singing in prison and the Lord causes an earthquake, breaks their chains, they could go free. They could run out, but they don't. They stay there. And the jailer says, are you there? Because if they've left, right, the jailer is going to kill himself because it's his job to protect these people, to keep them here in this place. That's what he has to do to safeguard the law. And if they're gone, his life is forfeit. So he says, are you there? And Paul says, we're here. Don't harm yourself. We're here. And so they get to celebrate that as well, right? That there is real deliverance from prison and also deliverance from sin for these people also embrace the gospel, right? The jailer and his family. So this is what the Philippian church sees. They begin to invest materially and then they continue that on. If you read the book of Philippians, you see that they continue to support Paul, financially giving to him and his ministry and also sending people from their own congregation. This man named Epaphroditus, he goes and he serves with Paul. So that's what it means to be a good partner with the good news, right? If we look at the Philippian church, Paul is holding them up and he's saying, here's what a good partnership looks like in the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that all of your partnerships are going to look like that, right? But we do have good partnerships here at Grace, too, that we can point out. A great example would be faith in action. Faith in action, we ask for all of you to come and to serve, and over 300 people did. And you gave over 700 pounds of diapers and you brought food to food pantries and you went to schools and you served in all these different places. That's a good partnership with the gospel. And we know as a church that it's not just about giving money and that's why we wanted to send people to some of these organizations that we already support financially. So Faith Academy, Heritage Christian School, the food banks, we've already given them money from the church. Now we want to give them people and build relationships and build a better partnership, right? So those are all good partnerships that we have going on that we're trying to build on. You likewise can participate in those kinds of partnerships. We had Faith in Action Sunday. That was a one-time deal. We'll probably do it again next year in the summer. But between now and then, our hope and our goal is to see all of you take that idea and do it in your own lives, with your own families, with your small groups, 
to identify somebody in your community that has a need that you can serve. You don't need the whole church in a t-shirt to serve the Jesus, right? That's not necessary. You can do it whenever. So those are good partnerships. We also have bad partnerships here, right? Let's be honest. We have bad partnerships at Grace Community Church. There are people who come to Grace Community Church one Sunday a month, and that's it. And they try really hard to get out the door before you say hi to them. I've tried, right? And I'm kind of scary. I get it. Kind of scary, nervous laughter. But there are people who don't want to be involved other than to just hear the word and then leave. And why is that a bad partnership? It's not just a bad partnership for us, right? That's a bad partnership for us because we don't get the opportunity to work with them to see what their needs are. But it's a bad partnership for them also because maybe they have needs that seriously need to be met, right? And we, there's no opportunity for us to interact. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it this way. So this is Philippians, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the body of Christ, right? Where every person has different gifts, different abilities, and all of those work together to glorify God. If your hands only showed up to work once a month, how effective would they be? How effective will your body be if your hands only showed up to work once a month? That's a bad partnership, right? So we have those bad partnerships here. That, the bad partnership, gets in the way of celebrating the gospel. When you are part of a bad partnership, right, it's hard for you to find joy in the thing that you're doing. When you're part of a good partnership, one that praises God and and brings glory to him, it's a lot easier to find joy and celebrate those things that God is doing in and through you and through the partners uh, that you've connected with. So that's what I mean by bad partnership. That's what I mean by good partnership. That's what Paul means by good partnership. So when I say, if you want to celebrate the gospel amidst trial and struggle, you need a good partnership with the gospel, the Philippians are a good example. We can turn there and look. They're not the only example, but they're a good one. If you think at all about what a partnership requires, right, uh, you'll, you'll come quick to relationship. Partnerships are sort of big things. We've got an organization and some individuals working together. That's a partnership. Relationship is one-on-one. Let's go back to Philippians 1, 3 through 5 here and look at what Paul is saying about relationships. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In English, it makes a little bit more sense to read this kind of backwards from the bottom up. So let's start with verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, go back up to verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Right? It's because of the partnership that the relationship is something worth having. So they've initiated, right? The Philippians have said, yes, we want to invest We want to hear this word. We like this word that you're preaching about Jesus. We want to invest in you materially. And so the relationship is one where Paul can say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, I'm making my prayer with joy. He's joyfully praying for and remembering the Philippians. Think about the people that you pray for. How often do you pray for people where it's just sorrow, right? I just, Lord, they're hurting. I'm hurting. I just, I want them to be healed or it's petition for some change in their life. Those are important prayers, right? But if those are the only prayers, you're missing something important. Do you ever pray with joy for anyone? That's a relationship that you need if you want to celebrate the gospel. If you're never praying with joy for anyone or never in a relationship where you can think about those people in joy, that's going to impact your ability to celebrate the gospel. It's going to make it feel like there's nothing good going on there. 
right? So when Paul says this, he's saying the relationships are important because they affect the partnerships. So a bad relationship is built on a bad foundation. A good relationship is going to be built on a good foundation. Jesus obviously is going to give us good foundations. So let's talk about what that might look like. I want to kind of try and guide you through some understanding of a few Greek words. I'm not a Greek scholar. Have patience with me. If you're a Greek scholar, you can come and, and abrade me after the service. So the, the word that Paul uses at the beginning of this uh, section of verses, thank, I thank my God, right? It is the Greek word Eucharistio, and it should sound familiar to you. Most of you have heard the word Eucharist, yeah? Sound familiar? The Lord's Supper, communion, we use this word Eucharist. It's, it's a compound word. EU is a prefix. It means good. Charis is a root. It means grace. Good grace. Almost like goodness gracious, right? But this is where we get the idea of saying grace. When he says, I thank, right? He's saying, I'm saying grace. Now, if you're reading these words and you're wondering how grace and thanks are the same thing, it's for this reason. Grace is favor from God, right? Grace comes from God. It's his gift to us. While we're yet sinners, Christ dies for us. He loves us. We don't have to do anything, right? We can have bad partnerships and bad relationships. He still loves us. So that's grace from God. But can we love others exactly the same way that God loves us? We can't, right? We can't love we are powerless to love without him, but we can reflect his love, right, with his power. And so that's where the thanks comes in. When somebody says, thank you, what do they mean? Usually nothing, right? Usually when we say thank you, it's just perfunctory. We're just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. Your mom and your teachers, right, from kindergarten through sixth grade taught you to say thank you. Like, that's what you do. What does it mean? I don't know. You're just supposed to do it. Here's what it's supposed to mean. You're supposed to be reflecting God's grace, to other people. So you should be doing it in joy. So this is the true foundation of a good relationship, right? Is the ability to reflect back what God has given you to those around you. This is what will bring you joy if you're doing this. This is what will help you to remember people in joy, right? It's the difference between praying, God, I thank, I thank you, Lord, for all these people in my life. I have great joy about what they are and who they are and what they're doing versus, God, why are all these stupid people in my life and why are they always so dumb? Right? There's a significant difference there. That's two different foundations. If you're building on, God, thank you for these people. Let me reflect back to them the joy that you've given me. That will lead to you celebrating the gospel. If your foundation is, God, these people are stupid, you won't be celebrating the gospel. Right? So there's two different relationships here. A good partnership, right, is built on good relationships. Good partnership built on good relationships. And that's not the end. Most of you have already spotted the flaw. I've even hinted at the flaw here. You're going to feel discouraged still, knowing all of this information, if you're trying to do this by yourself, right? If we try to do this by ourselves, we're ignoring one very important thing. It's verse 6. Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who's he? I've got one whisper over here. Come on, Sunday morning. Who's he? Jesus. Yeah, God. God's going to do this, right? I'm sure of this, that God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When is the day of Jesus Christ? No actual date predictions, please. Just generally speaking. When is the day of Jesus Christ? when he returns, right? So what's the timetable that God is working on? 
Is it next Thursday? What's the timetable God's working on? When he returns, do we know when he returns? Not exactly, right? There are signs, there are symbols. There's a guarantee, though, that he will return. And so we know that he is going to return and that he's going to bring these things to completion. How? Through his own power. So I already said to you that we have uh, this going on with our, our partnerships where some of them are bad. I've told you that we have relationships, right, that are not always healthy. And now I'm telling you that there is a relationship specifically with Jesus that can be problematic. And that is one where we say, in my power, not in yours. And why is that a problem? Because we're failures, right? We're really bad at doing stuff. Who's tried to do stuff? Who's failed? Yeah, right? We're bad at that. We can't, but he can. And so the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is the foundational one, the one that's at the root of all this, right? If we don't have the relationship with Jesus that recognizes that he's the one who does the good work in us, then we're not going to have one-on-one relationships with people that are good. We're not going to have partnerships that are good. We're not going to celebrate the gospel. Now, there are lots of ways that this can look. I can have a relationship with Jesus where I just try to do everything in my own power, and that's not going to work. We know that. We don't want to admit it always, right? Some of us are very stubborn. We're going to keep trying it, right? We're going to go through however many thumbs and however many hammers it takes, but we're going to do it under our own power. And that's, that's true for some of us, but that's not true for all of us. Some of us really do get it. We know that God has to do the thing, right? We know that God has to be in control, that it's by his Holy Spirit's power and not our strength. He said that, we trust it, we believe it. But we still think that maybe that we've got some ideas about timing that are better than God's, right? Here are my ideas about timing. I went to a Bible school, a Christian college. It was a Christian liberal arts college. So, you know, I took the English and the math and the science courses, and we also had Bible courses. And I had people there at Bible college. They said, hey, you should think about going to work in a church. We think you have the skills, the abilities to, to work in a church. You should think about that. And I said, okay, I'll think about that. And then a grad school offered to pay my tuition, and I stopped thinking about that. And I went to grad school, right? And then God reminded me a little bit that, hey, you should think about working in a church. And so I did, right? I got involved in the church. Uh, my wife and I moved to Ohio where I went to grad school. We got involved there and uh, taught some small groups. And I thought about it a little bit more. Grad school finished. I thought, I'm going to apply at some jobs for churches. Didn't get any callbacks, didn't get hired, but there was a Christian school that wanted to talk to us. And so we went to a Christian school and I taught Bible there. And I had the opportunity to learn how to shepherd a little bit while I was there, right? And then that job ended. We'd had uh, three children, and uh, we were both working full-time, and that wasn't a great arrangement, as you might imagine. And uh, we looked for other jobs, and I thought, this is the time, right? I, I've not caught it the last two times. It's time for me to go. I need to go and find a job in a church. Applied to lots of churches. Nothing. But another Christian school said, hey, we'd like you to come and be an administrator. And so I did that. And then I looked again, right? And this time I was serious. I said, God, I think you want me to be in vocational ministry. I think you want me to work at a church. And he said, you're right, I do. Go to Iowa City. And I said, great. And he said, work at ACT. I said, okay. So I worked at ACT for seven and a half years. And I learned how to be an administrator and a manager in ways that I hadn't previously. And then, right, in December, I started working at Grace. It was never for me a matter of saying, God, my power, not yours. Most of the time it was me saying, God, my timetable, not yours. 
God, I want to do it now. I think I'm ready now. I probably would have told you when I was 18 years old that I was ready for this job, and I probably would have been terribly wrong, right? For many reasons. But I think, I think God wanted me here now for his own reason, and that's the best reason. So for me, it took 20 years, right? For you, it might take two months. For some of you, it might be that what comes to fruition is in your grandchildren's time if God should wait, if Jesus should wait that long. We don't know, but it's he who brings it to completion, right? Not us. So this is something that we have to keep in mind. It's not only not our power, it's not our timing either. That's the difference. So when sin is weighing us down, right, when we're feeling just overwhelmed, this is what I want you to do. When, um, when Cindy or anybody else at church says, hey, we have this opportunity to serve, and you're like, no, I don't want to serve, right? When Brooks comes up here or I come up here and I say, hey, we've got this thing for you to give to, and you're like, no, I like my money. I don't want to give, right? Whatever it is, I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Do I have a relationship or a partnership with the gospel that's characterized by good partnerships with the church and other ministries? Have I even been to church regularly? Have I been uh, interacting with other believers regularly? Have I had that experience that tells me that God is working in this way? If not, right, you're not going to be joyful about the gospel. When somebody comes up to you and they say, would you pray for me? And you're like, I want to go to lunch, which is a real response. We have that response. Ask yourself, is that good grace? How did God love you? How did he give grace to you? How can you give grace back to that person? How can you show thanks to that person coming up to you and requesting that you participate in their life by praying with them, right? Give good grace back. That will help you to celebrate the gospel. And please, 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 anytime you feel like you can't celebrate the gospel, ask yourself, what's my relationship to Jesus right now? Where am I at with him? Am I trusting in his power? Am I looking at his timetable and saying, I'm good with until you come back? Or are you saying it has to be now? It has to be in my power because that will frustrate you, right? And I don't want it to frustrate you. I want you to feel like you can celebrate the gospel. I want this entire church to feel like they're constantly in a mode of celebrating the gospel because of what God has done. The sin is going to be real. The temptation to frustration is going to be real. But I want you to always be able to celebrate the gospel. We are going to have communion this morning. And um, if you didn't get one of these cups, I'm going to ask the ushers to uh, just put your hand up and the ushers can bring you one if you didn't get one of these. Um, if you haven't used these before, while I'm talking, start fiddling with it now. It takes a little while. The top comes off like that and there's a wafer and then there's juice. It is complicated. So I'm going to give you some time to work through this. Communion is an excellent way for us to not only share in a partnership, right? But communion is also an excellent way for us to share in right relationship. And so I want you all to think about what Jesus has offered us in this. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread right? It certainly didn't look like this, but he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would, please eat the bread.
And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So please drink. I know that this is not the way we typically do communion, but I want to walk you through it this way to remind you what's going on here. This is a partnership with all of us, right? Communion. We are communing together. We are saying to one another, we are participants together in the body of Christ. This relationship that we have with Jesus where he died for our sins, we're remembering this to each other so that we can help to hold each other accountable, so that we can love each other well. That word that I talked to you about earlier, Eucharistio, Jesus uses it as well here when he's talking to his disciples. He says, um, on the night he was betrayed, it says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, the, the word there given, or the words given thanks are Eucharistesos. Uh, it's another form of that same word, right? He's reflecting back in that giving thanks the glory that he's received from the Father. And that's what he's always teaching us to do. And that's what he's asking us to do in communing with him. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This is communion. This is the right relationship we all need with each other. It will help us build good partnerships. It will help us celebrate the gospel. Uh, Would you all stand? Let's celebrate the gospel together with one more song.